What's going on, everybody? This is Nick Berlansky of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. And as the NHL is returned, and I'm very excited for that, I'm also a very big UFC fan. And there's also a return coming in that next week. The return we have all been waiting for is finally here. UFC's most notorious icon is stepping back into the octagon this Saturday. So be sure to check out DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC, for a shot to turn $1 into $257. Now, I like to sports bet, so that sounds like pretty good odds to me. That's right, new users can bet $1 on Conor McGregor to win by knockout in the first round, and if he does, you'll be cashing in $257. Bet a little, win a lot. It's that simple. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $257 if McGregor wins by first-round knockout. Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That's code THPN for new players to get $257 if McGregor wins by first-round knockout. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hello, hello, and welcome to... The Tip of the Iceberg Podcast brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. And if we're a little happy today is because we are celebrating a not-so-clean sweep of the Washington Capitals. But we will definitely get into that game that happened on Tuesday night, as well as a preview of the upcoming matchup against the New York Rangers. We were joined on this episode by Andy Hammond of the Broadway Boys Podcast to break down the Pens-Rangers matchup again We're facing off on Friday, but they will play four times in 10 days after that puck drops on Friday afternoon, so or Friday night, I should say, at 7 o'clock. So we'll get into all that with Andy, but before we do that, let's close out the series that we had with the Washington Capitals. My name is Nick Berlinski. I'm joined by Nick Horwat. Before we get into that, let's... How are you, Horwat? I almost forgot to introduce you, buddy. It's okay. We're doing well. And honestly, I will probably not be talking a whole bunch. We're getting the bathroom upstairs redone. They're using the room behind me for buzzsaw work. So I'll be muted a lot. Wish us luck. Wish me luck. And hey, you know what? I'm feeling riding high. The, The Penguins beat the Capitals twice. I don't care if it was in overtime both times. And they pulled out two points. Damn it, we won. We're back. This is the greatest team in the world. Uh... Yeah, it's a lot of fun being back. Horwat, the overreaction episode was on Monday. Time to overreact in the positive way, though. There we go. There we go. But I don't necessarily consider it a clean sweep. I'm going to call this the dirty sweep because you did give up two points to the Washington Capitals. And let's be real, those were not good games, both of them. No, uh, it, they were. neither game was a full 60 minutes, yet the Penguins have not played a full 60-minute game in the four games that they have played so far this year. But at the end of the day, they did get the W against the Capitals in both games. We already discussed on Monday's episode the victory they had on Sunday afternoon, but here we're going to discuss the Tuesday night game, of course. We're going to go through it period by period, and then we'll we'll talk about some discussions that we have for that. The Penguins, of course, somebody needs to make a concerted effort to tell the Penguins, 
the correct start time for the game because they have not had a good start in any of the four games that they have played. And not only are they not good in these starts, they are absolutely abysmal in some of them. And that continued and kind of exasperated to the 10th degree against Washington on Tuesday. They were awful coming out of the gate. And they've been outscored 10 to 5 in the first period this season. So somebody needs to tell them what time each game starts. Horwat, how much of a concern is this that the Penguins continue to start slow? It's it's brutal. It's very brutal. I, I, it's it's a lot of concern considering games are sixty minutes long, mm-hmm. and we're only playing twenty to forty of them. It's oh, it's just not good. I got nothing else for it other than you want to play all sixty minutes, and it's just not fun watching them not play. Yeah, and it was not good. Like it was. Not good is the only one that comes to my head, and that's the explanation, but it was awful. It was abysmal. It was just poor effort all the way around by everybody except for Kasperi Kapanen, it seemed like. Now, there is the fact that this is his first game of the season where everybody else has already played three. This is only the third day that he's skated on North American ice since coming back from Finland and finally getting over here from Finland. So he does have his legs about him, not to mention the fact that he is probably one of the fastest players on the team to begin with. So that also helps. But, of course, him coming out, second shift looked really good, and it led to an assist on the Colton Sevier goal. Sevier's second in as many games against the Washington Capitals. And it seemed like, well, the Penguins are going to get out of this first period tied, even though they played awful. Well, not so fast because, once again, an issue that I've outlined in several episodes prior, they have not been able to finish out periods all that well. I look at an NHL game, and it's a game of two minutes when it comes to momentum in an NHL game. The first two and the last two minutes of each period and the two minutes following any goal you score. And the Penguins got double whammy because they gave up a goal about six seconds after they tied the game, and then they gave up a goal with about six seconds left in the first period, both of those going to Tom Wilson, and all of a sudden you're down 3-1 to where you probably should have been in the first place after an awful first period of play. Yeah, it, of all people, Tom Wilson. <laughs> Listen, does he live in our heads rent-free? Maybe, but he's a friggin' scumbag, and I'll get into more on, more on that later. Um, yeah, I like what you said about the two minutes thing. That's actually a very good way of looking at it, a very perfect way of thinking about it, because it's always... You kind of realize it whenever it's within two minutes. It's like, wow, that was fast, or wow, this... You know, stuff like that. If it's beyond that, you kind of don't realize, you don't think about it too much, but that's a great way of looking at it, always in like that two-minute drill sort of thing. It's you got That's where most of the games are decided. That's where momentum shifts and changes, and it's some of the most important part of the sport. So we move on to the second period. One thing that became, again, evident for the Pittsburgh Penguins is that Tard Reardon wants the defense to be pinching and wants them to be very, very active. Four games into the season now, Horwat. How do we feel about the amount of pinching that our defense has been doing? God, I hate it. God, <laughs> I hate it. It hasn't worked out too much yet. We got, yeah, Pedersen scored a goal. That's fun. That's cool. We like seeing that. Our defense chipping in. And Pedersen's a guy that um, might have a sneaky offensive ability a few years down the road. And it's starting to grow in this year. It, watching them pinch this year has been brutal because we've seen a bunch of two-on-ones go the other way we saw a two-on-oh three-on-oh um 
in that second Washington game. Granted, yeah, it's great DeSmith made the save, but nine times out of ten, that save is not happening. We can't be pinching this much. We can't be leaving our goaltender out to dry. We can't leave our other defensemen out to dry because we're screwed. We're playing against, we're playing in a fast division that's going to just burn us going the other direction. And beyond pinching, I want to just I want to ask you: Have you noticed Brian Dumoulin shooting the puck a lot more often this year, or is that just me? No, I have noticed that he's getting it on net instead of deferring to Chris Letang, yeah. which is what he's been doing for most of his career, is just deferring to Letang. But he has been shooting a little bit more. Again, that might be something that has been instituted by Todd Reardon. He might want all of his defensemen to get the puck on the net at any cost and at any time. But I really haven't – I mean, I don't have an issue with that because I always thought that this team passed too much anyway, and they deferred to one or two defensemen, meaning – you know, Schultz, whenever he was here, and Latang, And luckily, Dumlin getting the shot on, that gives it another aspect to the Penguins' offense that could turn into possible goals or possible points. So I don't mind that. The pinching, however, it doesn't seem like it's working. You mentioned it led to a 3-on-0. When is the last time, if ever, because I don't remember ever in my memory seeing a 3-on-0 in an NHL game, when is the last time you saw that? Do you remember that at all? St. Louis did it last year or the year before, and they scored on it. It was against Vancouver, I think. If I'm not mistaken, that Thatcher Demko specifically. I like. I really do remember it like just happening. It may have even been in overtime. I don't remember the exact play, but it was a 3-on-0, and it wasn't even a 3-on-0. It looked like a 3-on-0 practice drill because all three of the Blues were standing. Jeez. So I remember that. So, I mean, yeah, it doesn't happen very often. That's for damn sure. We know 2-on-1s happen all the time, but we seem to have a bunch of them this year, and all of them you want to not see. And it might be growing pains with Todd Reardon's system as well because we are only four games in. They didn't have a long training camp. I sound like a broken record because I say this a lot. Uh, you know, no training camp, if not small training camp, no preseason games. They're early in the season. Again, broken record for a lot of these things because that is the situation that the Pittsburgh Penguins are currently in. But the way that they're doing this, it doesn't seem productive. Like, you get to keep it in the puck in the offensive zone most of the time. And in the third period, it worked extremely well. And we'll get to that. But you do have a lot of odd man rushes. You do have a lot of possible three-on-O situations, which you're lucky Casey DeSmith made that save because otherwise that game would have been over. And the problem is you don't have right now the trust in your goaltending to allow that many two-on-ones and to be confident to say, well, we know our goaltender is going to make that save at least half the time. Right now, you don't necessarily know that in those high danger chances. So I don't see... They're going to obviously keep doing it because that's what they're married to at this point, but I don't see it going well so far, and we'll have to see if that goes well going forward. Now, more into the second period, of course, two of the weirdest sequences that we have seen. Jake Gensel scores on a five-on-three. That's good. Pretty easy play. Crosby to Rust to Gensel, wide open net. That made it three to two. Then, of course, the two-minute rule comes in again. They go down four to two, but then a little bit later, they score... On a three-on-five penalty kill, Teddy Bluger gets the goal, assisted by Casey DeSmith on what was probably one of the best, if not the best play of the Pittsburgh Penguins season so far. Good play by DeSmith. He was struggling in the game, and then he comes out and does that and completely changes the tide of the game. That moment, or if you want to trace it back to the stop on the three-on-o, one of those two moments, Casey DeSmith changed the outcome of that game. 
Then also, of course, they mentioned that the Penguins have twice done this before, scored on the two-man disadvantage. Once was Mario Lemieux, obviously, because who else would have scored it? And then the other one was Matt Cook, which I thought was hilarious because Matt Cook, not known for scoring very many, you know, big-time goals or, or unsuspecting goals, but hey, what did you think about that entire sequence there, scoring on the five-on-three, then on a three-on-five? It felt really good. The fi- the scoring on the five-on-three, I guess I should say, when Gensel scored, uh, good. It broke broke the seal for him. Let's hope they all just kind of start flying in now. Yeah, it was an f- easy five-on-three, and that's kind of what you're supposed to do, but... I mean, we've seen a lot of five-on-threes go by the wayside and nothing happens. So the fact that we were able to capitalize on one and get our power play moving a little bit, it was all beneficial and really helped. And it was, you know, part of winning the game. It was an important goal and it was important to score in that specific situation. As for the DeSmith pass, I mean, right away I thought, damn, DeSmith has more points than Malkin and Latang so far this season. Thankfully, that lasted about two minutes. Yeah. But... I mean, it. it's a play that really sucks. That that's a play that sucks energy out of the opposing team because you're wondering how can – it's a defensive breakdown. There's no other way of looking at it. Your team is two men up, and you let up a goal. That's a defensive breakdown. I've only ever done it in a video game. It's not a thing that happens very often. I've only ever done it once in a video game that I can remember at least. Um, not on easy mode. I'm talking like online video game. But it's – hard that is damn near impossible to do and the fact they didn't just score it on like a dump in and a setup they scored it on a breakaway that's the more impressive part about it it's not like it was a bad breakout for the capitals and there was like a few men down there no it was bluger tailed shortly by ovechkin so it all made it perfect um it was a perfect storm of penguins against capitals hatred (laughs) Not only did we score on a 5-on-3 at their disadvantage, um, Ovechkin was the first one to see it. The only thing that would have made it better is if, like, Olaf Kolzig or Braden Holpe was in that. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of sweet to see Alex Ovechkin sitting there, kind of helpless at that point to the to the hands of Teddy Bluger. It, it, was, it was something that was very relieving to see, especially with the way the game was going up to that point and bringing it back to a one-goal game. What else was relieving to see was Evgeny Malkin on the power play blasting it past Vitek Vanacek, his first of the season, finally off the schneid, his first point of the season. How much of a relief was it for you to see Gino get the goal? Uh, that's the, I think that, I think I saw stats like this is the first time in his career he's gone the first three games of a season without a point. Mm-hmm. So that shows how slow of a start he got off to that it took until game four to get a point and it's, it's a good start for him. He was, before the season started, three behind Yager in Penguins points. So now he's only two, and he's about to pass him, which is an impressive stat to think about because Yager was incredible here. I get Malkin's played a little longer now in this town, but still, it's something to really look at and something I've been watching for. I said it could have happened in the first game. Well, here we are, game four. He's still two back. <laughs> such as hockey, such as life, and he's got to do better and i'm sure things will turn around for him same goes with latang i mean i think we all expected him to have a couple points too but um it was a relief and you just hope more is to come from it yeah the big thing for evgeny malkin that i didn't even think of until i read rob rossi's piece in the athletic his 10 observations of the game is evgeny malkin is a guy that thrives a lot off of the fans and anytime there's fans in the stands so the problem being 
there's not going to be fans in the stands at all this year, probably not until next season. So that's something to be taken into effect as well. It was good to see Evgeny Malkin get on the scoreboard, especially in the way that he did. The problem was he didn't seem all that excited to score a game-tying goal when the team has been down the entire game against the Washington Capitals. Now, that's not something that we're going to have to look at for very long and be like, okay, this is an issue. But if it continues to happen, you're going to have to not wonder if he wants to be there as much as wonder if his motivations are going to cost him in the production department. So far, he has one goal in the season in four games. Everybody has a slow start from now and then, but hopefully he continues, especially after scoring that type of goal or he just blows it by the goaltender on the power play. Hopefully he builds on that and can get some five-on-five action because I don't think he looked all that great at five-on-five either. No. No, I mean... Malkin hasn't looked that great, period, yet. That's just the way it is. And before we move on to the third period, the one thing I did want to mention, the intensity of this game and the intensity of the second game against the Flyers, it seems like it's something that we're going to see in the second game of all of these series, which is just a a commendation to the NHL and the way that they structure the schedule because that is going to make the games a lot more interesting to watch It's going to probably drive up the viewership, which is going to make the NHL more money. And it's also going to drive me and you, Horwat, into the ground a lot quicker with our anxiety levels and our our stress and our anger levels, especially with the way that yesterday's game and then the second period it went. We'll get into the TJ Oshie hit in a little bit. We're going to do that after we finish the whole rundown of the game. But I think the way that the NHL has structured the schedule has been something that has turned this season into a lot more of a spectacle than it was going to be otherwise. And I think that's something that the NHL needs to get credit for. I'm not going to reserve it for our shout out uh, later today. I'll just say it now. I do have a different one for later today. That's a little bit more interesting, but I just want to commend the NHL because this is going to be something that for at least the next 24 times that it happens, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, it's, I, put it at the beginning of the season it's almost like a baseball series but after seeing it happen a couple times it's really not it's it really is just two games back to back with teams that you don't like it's it doesn't feel like baseball because in baseball i mean dad like you don't like the team you play Mm -hmm. but sparks fly like in baseball sparks will fly first game of the series and then the next two nothing yeah because baseball is (laughs) boring i mean how there was a short period of time where it seemed like the Pirates and Reds were fighting every game. What would happen, though, is that the next year, the next series they played against each other, nothing. The Pirates would just get dominated again, and then we'd all move on. So it, it's, it doesn't feel like baseball the way I thought it would this year, I guess. Yeah, and that's fair, and mainly because it, it, it is hockey. It's a little bit more fun to watch on, yeah. on TV, and there are sparks flying basically in every single game when you're playing the teams you're playing. But now you add that back-to-back scenarios and your home-and-home scenarios. And I mean, look, we're playing the New York Rangers, as we'll mention when we talk to Andy in a little bit. We'll play the New York Rangers four times out of the next 10 days. And then in the middle of that, we play the Boston Bruins. So tempers are going to be high for the Pittsburgh Penguins in their next six games to round out their first 10. And it's going to make for a lot of entertaining hockey. 
But let's continue back with the Washington Capitals game that happened on Tuesday. Moving into the third period, while they outscored the Capitals 3-1 to in the second period, I think the third period was the best period that they played in that game, and honestly, probably the best period that they've played in the entire season. And that's made even more impressive by the fact that they were missing Marcus Pedersen and Yuso Rikula. They played with four defensemen, yet they dominated a team like the Washington Capitals in puck possession and in chances. Yeah, the Capitals were able to kind of control the physicality of the game, and you really notice how much more dominant they are when it comes to the strength portion of the game than the Pittsburgh Penguins. But the Penguins controlled the puck, controlled the pace of play, and controlled basically everything else in that third period. The one thing that did happen in the third period that I took of note is Brandon Tanev was bumped up to the second line. Brian Russ moved down to the third. Kind of seemed like this was coming from the way that he was he was kind of deployed in the first two periods. What have you seen from Brian Russ so far this year? And why is he getting demoted? I mean, most people can see playing his day that he doesn't score in goals. He isn't playing to the caliber that he did last season. But what have you seen that kind of explains why he's been demoted a little bit going forward? Well, what I've seen from Brian Russ so far is absolutely nothing. <laughs> Fair. And beyond that, I, I don't think it was it was a permanent change. It was just one to get someone's juices flowing and to just to get the change in. Because, I mean, we saw the lineup come out, and I think we all immediately thought the captain was going to be pushed up to the first line before the end of the second period even, mm-hmm. uh, which happened once, and then then he was put back down. Mike Solomon was just hitting shuffle yesterday. Let's put it a at lot. that. Yeah. It, it, it was weird to see. So, I mean, I mean, Brian Russ is a guy who's struggling to start so far while Tanev is an all-around energy guy that maybe he was bumped up to get Malkin and Zucker pushing a little bit, get their juices flowing, get them some energy and moving. Because, yeah, Brian Rust has been struggling, but, I mean, let's be real, so were the other two on that line. We we were going into the season to having discussions of, like I said, not just us, but everyone having discussions of that those three in Malkin, Rust, and uh, Zucker being the best second line in the league. Zero points, real basically, between the three of them uh, going into Tanev jumping up there and just to change the momentum a little bit for him. I think that's all it was. I'm not saying it was a permanent move. I'm just saying it, it looked like, to me, something that was done to just get them off their schneid and to get them moving because you put an energy guy like Tanev up there, and that's just what will happen. And it almost seemed as if Sullivan said, you know what, we have four defensemen right now. So if we lose, it's not going to be on us. It's going to be on the fact that we had four defensemen. It was kind of a win-win situation for the Penguins and a lose-lose for the Capitals at that point in the third period. And it looked like he was saying, you know what, let's see what works. Let's put Kapanen on the second line. I saw him play with Malkin for a shift or two. Let's put Tanev up there. Let's put Rodriguez down on the fourth line for a shift. They switched everything up they put i believe brian rust up on the first line for a shift as well they're just trying to see what works trying to see if there's anything that does kind of click and luckily they played extremely well with it and it kind of made no sense that they kept switching the lines because they were dominating every single shift but then you looked out there and all of a sudden it's jankowski tanev and rodriguez and you're like well Where's McCann? And it was it switched around a lot, yet the Penguins controlled the pace of play, which is a good thing because that means that their roster is deep enough to do that against a team like the Capitals. But it was definitely interesting to see 
Mike Sullivan kind of throw caution to the wind when it came to his lineup decisions in the third period. Yeah, that's kind of what you want to see because we were hooting and hooting and hollering last year that we want to see the fourth line as good as it was. It's changed up a little because it's getting a little stagnant and it's not working anymore. When that point comes around, you got to make the changes. And it's good to see he's doing that so far, especially early in the season. Whenever you can brush off a slow start to, we didn't have a preseason. We didn't have that long of a training camp. These guys are still getting their legs on them. It's good to see he's not brushing those those kind of answers off and just going, all right, we're hitting the change button. We're switching things up and hoping for a boost. And it's been working. As for if it stays that way going forward by way of, you know, these guys staying on these lines who knows i'd say going forward you start with what we had see if things change and then change it in the middle of the game because you can do that and it worked apparently mm-hmm. as we mentioned no goals in the third period yep you went into overtime but the one thing i did see in the third period other than those line changes john marino made his first a plus plus play of the season against alex ovechkin who was coming in on the rush and then Marino, who has had kind of a rough start to the season after signing his extension, he had great body positioning and took both Ovi and the puck over to the boards. At least five feet he drove him over. There was a little bit of hard contact there as well, which is tough against a guy as physically dominating as Alex Ovechkin. So I thought that was something that was really good for John Marino, getting that first A++ play of the season. It was good to see something like that from him, and it's weird that you mentioned that uh... – he hasn't had that hard, that hot of a start to the season yet. He's been the best defenseman. That should say something about how not, yeah. not very good this defense has been to start the year. It has been brutal, and it keeps getting injured. So things aren't getting better yet. It might be POJ time, but that's all there is to say about the defense so far. Because Matheson's out long term, and boy, we all thought it was a healthy scratch at first. We look, now there's cake on our face or egg on our face, however the fucking saying goes. <laughs> Some sort of dairy product. There's or baked. Cake. You know, we all had to eat our words. Let's put it that way. Ah, uh, yeah. There you go. That that makes the most sense there. But yeah, John Marino made a really good play there. I'm sure somebody else noted that. I'm sure everybody that likes to watch John Marino noticed that play. And then period ends. What were you thinking heading into overtime? God, please not another slow overtime. Actually, make the first move. Actually, look like you're trying out there just to see what happens. You got lucky to get to overtime that game, I think. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they make a great play. I mean, Jake Gensel passing it off the boards to himself, turning around, finding Latang, and somehow Tom Wilson completely misses his assignment, which is Sidney Crosby, lets him in front of the net. And although Vitek Vanacek was able to completely rob Jake Gensel at the end of regulation, he was not able to rob Sidney Crosby in overtime. Penguins get the win 5-4, to four, move themselves back to 2-2 two and two on the season. It was a good game. It was a crazy game. They had played absolutely awful in the beginning. They played pretty bad to start the second. Then they played really well, outscore the Caps 3-1 to in the second, played the best period they've ever played in the third, yet not scoring a goal, and then go out in overtime and clean it up. I think that is something that, and Mike Sullivan mentioned, resiliency is something that this team has been made of for the past two seasons, and it seems like it's inherited again for this year's team. So it's good to see them get the win. It's good to see them, <coughs> excuse me, back to 500. It was also good to see the stars, Jake Gensel, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, all on the score sheet with goals. That's something that we said has been missing on Monday's episode. It was also nice to see Sid finish with a like, super plus game of one goal, two assists, a three-point game for Sid. 
What were your impressions? We'll get into the overarching storylines here. What were your impressions of Kasperi Kapanen's first game? I enjoyed him. I enjoyed I enjoyed watching him. I enjoyed seeing what he can do on this team any on any line, really. I mean, starting on the fourth, creating an opportunity for a goal, and then being pushed up and down to get the momentum swing going. And it worked out in the Penguins' favor, which is kind of what he is supposed to do. So it was good to see him getting that first game and then looking very well, looking like a very good player doing it. As the day went on on Tuesday, I got more and more excited to watch his first game, not only because he's somebody that is going to be touted right now by general manager Jim Rutherford and Mike Sullivan as a top six player, so anytime you enter somebody like that in a lineup, it should be interesting, but he's a guy that is coming in with a lot of speed. He's a guy that's coming in with a lot of excitement. And I just got more and more excited as the day went on to see what he looked like in black and gold. That roster comes out, he's on the fourth line. I get why everybody's mad, but I also really understand what Mike Sullivan was doing there. You want to limit a guy's minutes when he's only played... He hasn't played a game. He's only practiced one day. And that's why Kasperi Captain only had 10 minutes of ice time yesterday. But didn't it seem like he was out there for more? Yeah, it absolutely did. I think Sullivan's done something like that before with um, people who've missed time, starting them on the first line and moving them into where they go because it's it's a long time off. You got to get them going a little bit. You got to get their legs moving, and it made sense to me. I saw it and I was like, "Yeah, I'm not surprised." I think he's done this before, and it's a good idea to start people in, especially whenever you're working with um, a trio of Crosby, Gensel, and Rodriguez. Who, yeah, we don't like Rodriguez up there. Yeah, things look different, but there's some kind of chemistry there. I mean, they played three games together. There's some sort of like, hey, we know what to do. Things started working for us. Never Rodriguez scored 19 seconds into the last game. You you know that there's some sort of something building there. You don't necessarily want to just immediately scoop it out. But easing him into the game is kind of exactly what it, he needed to do. I mean, who knows? If he's not on that line, who knows if that goal gets scored early on? Yeah, that's completely fair. It, it's it's kind of a nice luxury to have a guy like Kasperi Kapanen playing on your fourth line, especially with a guy like Teddy Bluger, who has been pretty good this year yet so far. He's, he's struggled in some instances where the whole team has struggled, but I thought he played extremely well last night as, or well, yeah, on Tuesday night. And to see Kapanen out there, his speed, I knew he was fast. But it was kind of understated almost. Like, yeah, he's, he's a fast guy. He's a burner. But we haven't seen that much speed since Carl Hagelin. And, and, you know, obviously apropos to play the Capitals, where Hagelin is currently playing in his first game. But he played really well, I thought, in the 10 minutes and the short amount of time that he was given. And I'm going to be interested to see what happens on Friday and see if he gets bumped up at all. Especially because now... The Penguins know that he has his feet under him and he has a little bit of experience in this roster. Yeah. So other than that, let's get into the one thing that I know that you're a little upset about. <laughs> and and that's the hit from TJ Yoshi on Marcus Pedersen. We still, as we're recording this, do not know how long Marcus Pedersen's going to be out. It was said to be an upper body injury. We're not sure if that means is a concussion or a shoulder injury. 
we're going to have to wait on that. But what did you think about the TJ Oshie hit on Pedersen that eventually resulted in a two-minute interference instead of the five-minute major that it was initially called? Um, to be fair, it was a clean hit. I think we saw it happen at first, and we immediately didn't like it. I, for one, am not a TJ Oshie fan. I never have been. I will stand by my opinions on that. And I don't, it's, it was kind of just one of the things like we see it happen in real time. We're expecting, okay, it's a hit to the head. We're going to be getting the whole, here we go with the Washington scumbagness. And uh, we see the replay. I even said to myself, okay, it's clean. Let's move on. Give him the two, maybe a double minor for for a bad interference. it, It was interference. Let's start there. One, but it wasn't an illegal, illegal check. It was shoulder to shoulder just bad luck shit like that happens all the time in hockey where a clean hit you know puts someone out of it it's just the way it goes it's a hard sport and that's just the way it is I mean even beyond TJ Yoshi I was yelling at John Marino last recording for ducking into a Tom Wilson hit then Teddy Bluger goes and does it like does it himself in this game not only ducking into a Tom Wilson hit but with Ovechkin directly behind him Bluger's lucky to have gotten up from that I mean, I thought Marino ducked. Bluger ducked into this one. It's brutal watching us. I, I don't know what it is. Do Are we thinking that we're going to duck into hits and suspensions are just going to sprout from the ground from it? I mean, it's interesting. I don't I don't know this whole game plan of ducking these hits. Yeah, it, it's weird to have seen it two games in a row, especially with two young players doing it too. So Against it the same person. to <laughs> Yeah, it might just, well, against the same person because Tom Wilson's the only guy that's going out there making those big hits because of how fast he skates around and how much he enjoys contact. But we're not, I mean, Tom Wilson aside, who had a really good game for himself, TJ Oshie's hit, when he made the hit at full speed, you look at it and you say, that was dirty. And then, of course, with the benefit of now, thank you to the, to the San Jose Sharks and Vegas Golden Knights a couple years ago, we get to look at those plays back and it doesn't completely screw a team. While yes, it would be nice to screw over the Washington Capitals. It's nice to not have that other excuse for hockey troll to complain about because he lost this game (laughs) because it got demoted from a five minute major to a two minute, which it should have because it was not dirty. He did not get his elbow up. He kept it in his body. He stayed on the ice. Pedersen was just in a rough, you know, rough position. Yeah. It's an interference call. Okay, it was just a hard hit. He was in a rough position. It was not dirty at all. I saw a lot of outcry that T.G. Oshie is an underrated dirty player. And yes, I have seen him make some dirty plays in the past, but this was not one of them. As correct as those tweets are, they were not correct about this specific play. You are definitely right when you say T.G. Oshie is a dirty player and it's not underrated anymore. You are correct when you can say he's a scumbag. But just not in this particular situation. It was a clean hit. Maybe, like I said, maybe it was late. It definitely was. Just unlucky. It's the way hockey goes. We've seen many a penguin get injured through unlucky plays. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, the the laundry list of injuries is already picking up. So far, it's only been on the defensive side. Specific, of the specifically the left defensive side. Specifically the left, yeah. 
So we'll have to see what happens if Cody Cece gets back into the lineup for the first time since opening night, or if P.O. Joseph or Kevin Churchman, who are both on the taxi squad, get activated to come up and play either P.O. Joseph his first game or Kevin Churchman his first game in a long time yeah. at the NHL level. So we'll have to keep an eye on that for Friday after or Friday night. I keep saying Friday afternoon. I don't, I'm not sure why, but a couple more things here about the game. Tristan Jari eventually will have to play the Washington Capitals, but he still has yet to do so. What did you think about the decision to play Casey DeSmith yesterday, and what did you think of Casey DeSmith's performance in yesterday's game? You know what? I liked the decision to play DeSmith mm-hmm. because Mike Sullivan's a guy always play the hot hand, always go with who's winning. And I kind of talked in circles when we were discussing if DeSmith or Jaro would be starting the first um, Capitals game. And I don't really know where I was going with it then, but now it kind of makes sense that you want your you want the same goalie to play the same team back-to-back, I think. I think it's kind of a good idea. Granted, you don't want to do it back-to-back days, but I think I said it then, you kind of like the idea of your goalie being aware of how a team is playing and being able to know that they're going to come at you a certain way rather than one goalie goes in, is a learns the system, knows what's going to come at him. Then you switch it up, and you immediately have to learn something again. It's a, it's a new learning situation almost. It makes more sense playing the same goalie in both games. I don't know how many times we have back-to-backs against the same team like that, but I think that should be a pattern this year, especially considering we don't... Especially considering the start Jari has had so far. Hasn't looked good. I mean... If, if he can turn it around, maybe, yeah, you start flipping him into games. But, I mean, I'm not saying continue playing to Smith until he loses. I'm saying go with the same goalie in these sort of two-game series situations just so the goalie is accustomed to the team he's playing. Sounds weird. It might make no sense. <laughs> but I spoke it into a microphone on a podcast, so it's, it, it's, uh, it's fact. It is now fact. It's yes. now but fact. No, you, you, you did make sense. You, you feel like that, that familiarity from a couple yeah. days ago is why you should stick with the same guy. I don't think that's why Sullivan did that. I think that there's been something going on with Mike Buckley, the goaltending coach, and Jari just trying to get his head right, trying to basically hit the reset button for Tristan Jari because those first four periods of hockey were not good. It, yeah. it kind of took him and the entire team and really the entire city by surprise as to his performance in those first four periods. So... If you want him to reset, have him reset. And that's what he got. Basically a full week off to kind of sit there, reset his mindset, have a lot of time with Mike Buckley, the goaltending coach, and hope that when he comes out, which I would assume he's starting against the New York Rangers on Friday, so he's ready mentally. Basically a do-over to the start of the season. Just kind of try to put those two games against Philadelphia in the past, start fresh against the New York Rangers, who are a team that don't, have necessarily the amount of depth that the Philadelphia Flyers were able to throw at the Pittsburgh Penguins. Also, the Pens are playing a little bit better in front of him. At least they have been playing better in front of Casey DeSmith since the Penguins came back to Pittsburgh to play against Washington. As far as Jari not playing against Washington yet in his entire career, he's going to have to at some point. The Pens and the Capitals have six more matchups this season. Let's make sure that Jari starts at least three of them, mainly because if we see them in the playoffs... I definitely don't want that to be the first time that Tristan Jari sees Alex Ovechkin in a Washington Capitals. Yeah, you want him to get that experience in, and I'm sure he will eventually. 
Uh, one thing I did notice too about Jari being on the bench is he looks happy at least, even after playing like shit in the first two games. I mean, I'm I'm not used to seeing our backup goalie kind of be excited to just be there on the bench. I mean, Murray would never do anything. He is a robot when he sits on the bench. <laughs> Flurry for for what it's worth, Flurry is one of the more ex- you know high quality, high energy kind of goalies. When he's not on the ice, he's not happy about it usually. Usually, yes. So I think it's ve- it was very interesting seeing our backup goalie in a good mood on the bench. <laughs> Granted, I mean, yeah, Casey DeSmith would, is normally a guy that's in a good mood on the bench, but we're not. He has He's a, a career backup. Yeah, so that's his position. It's weird when your starter is on the bench and not kind of just sitting there with the hat on like this, like a robot. <laughs> but he was up. He was smiling. He was joking with the guys. After two bad games, that's what you want to see from your goalie, some sort of positivity and, you know, joyness and happiness to be there and i'm sure it was reinforced that it was just two bad games it was a rough start and now it's a reset button completely the penguins are two and two they're back to 500 jari has the chance to come in and prove that you know he is the starter for this team the people that are crying for DeSmith to be the starter you're crazy and please don't ever message me but at the same time that that's pens fans that's hockey fans all together they're very passionate people But speaking of fans, we do have a couple questions that came in uh, from our friend Wesley from Colorado, and I promised him I would ask you, Horwat, and we would discuss these two questions on the podcast. But to any other listener that is out there, send us your questions. If you want us to discuss them on the podcast, send us anything that you want us to discuss that involves Pittsburgh Penguins hockey, and even if it doesn't, maybe we'll throw it into our shout-outs and call-outs section. But from Wesley, the first question he asked is, could Rodriguez be seeing this much playing time on the top unit because he is possibly a piece in the potential move for Jack Roslovich? You know, that makes sense. And I like that idea because I don't know who Roslovich is really that much. And Rodriguez is a guy I kind of just don't want on my team anymore. <laughs> but that's just me being brutal toward an NHL caliber player. Um, I, I get that. I get where he's coming from with that because we did that with Good Branson last season. Think about that. Good Branson was literally on this team last year. Uh, granted, it may have been a little bit more than a year ago because 2020 was five years long, but it's a solid concept that I never really thought of, mostly because I haven't thought about these Roslovic rumors too seriously. Yeah. Um, I don't think the trigger's going to get pulled on that for us personally. That's just my thought on it. But if that would make sense, though. I do think that is a good concept and something that would make sense and I can see where people are getting that idea as well um I get it you want to make Rodriguez you want to make players look good before you trade them so you stick them with Crosby to make them look good (laughs) but I mean if that works out and you're still trying to trade them shit bump up the price a little bit maybe you can get something a little better than just a Roslovic for them throw in a pick with it who knows I don't think Evan Rodriguez is on the trade block. I think that this team, more specifically Mike Sullivan, really likes Evan Rodriguez. He's kind of the Swiss Army knife that is in every single one of Mike Sullivan's teams in the past five years. He's always had that guy that can play any position, any line, and that's who he thinks Evan Rodriguez is. So I don't think that there's a chance that he gets traded. I think the reason he's getting those elevated playing minutes is because of the Kasperi Kapanen situation because he was missing for the first three games 
and, and Sullivan wanted to get the rest of the line squared up as they will be whenever Kapanen is consistently starting on the first line. And I think yesterday is just, again, we talked about it already when we talked about Kapanen's performance. They didn't want Kapanen coming in and playing 25 minutes a game to start. They wanted him to get his feet under him, a good 10-minute base. He got a couple shifts with Crosby at the end there. And you saw Rodriguez. He played with Crosby. He got bumped down when they switched it. He bumped down to the fourth line. He played with the third line a little bit. He's a Swiss Army Knife guy, and I don't think Mike Sullivan or Jim Rutherford are even thinking about trading him right now. Plus, I feel like there's kind of like a an unwritten rule that you shouldn't trade a player that you had traded for, then traded, then signed, and then traded again. I don't think – I think there's something off about that math, and if it does end up happening – I mean, poor Evan Rodriguez, he's definitely getting his mileage in and his air miles. But the other question that Wesley asks us is, where does Zach Aston Reese fit into this lineup once he gets healthy? Which we presume is probably still a month out, but where does he fit when he returns? Uh, personally, I don't know if, if he does. Really? I like Sevier so far. That's, that's one part. I, I haven't minded Sevier, but... When Kapanen goes up to that first line, there's a, you know, Rodriguez goes down to the fourth line, presumably. And I don't mind that too much either. That, that And that's where I think he goes. I think once Kapanen's ready, he goes to the first. I think Rodriguez goes to the fourth. And of course, there might be some moving and shaking, especially considering the way that Brian Rust has played so far this season. It seems like he might get some demoted minutes if he continues on that path. But I feel like Rodriguez moves down to that fourth line which is a perfect spot for Zach Aston Reese to fill in once he's healthy. Yeah, I mean, I get why people love Aston Reese, especially after the last season he had, after last season that he had defensively minded, you know, good enough for what should be uh, Selkie votes. But um, I've liked Sevier so far, Rodriguez. Yeah, like I, I just said, I don't want him on my team, but at least he's playing right now and playing better in these last two games than he did in the first two but as for Aston Reese I mean I've always kind of felt like he's a guy that won't be here too long I don't know why that's just always the hunch I've gotten from like yeah he had a great start then he got destroyed by Tom Wilson and hasn't been the same player since (laughs) and I don't know that is just my thought of it I don't know if he fits I don't I'm sure we'll give him a shot and then we'll see if he fits like still but for now, the time being, the way I'm looking at it is I think we're good with our 12 uh, forwards. And if you want to try Aston Reese for a few games after he comes back from injury, go for it. And then we'll see if he really does fit. For now, I just don't know if it will. We'll see what the standings also bring for. I feel like a lot of it does depend on where the Penguins' offense is because Aston Reese is not really an offensive influx. It, yeah. at all really he is a kind of a defensively minded not kind of he is a defensively yeah. minded forward probably one of the best in the league last season when it came to being a defensive forward but for Aston Reese I think he's a lock to be in the lineup when he's healthy and especially if it's over a guy like Evan Rodriguez you you, you said you like Colton Sevier so far which is good it, it's nice it's the best part of that trade that we sent Patrick Hornfist, who also has three goals already. It is the best part of that trade as of right now because Mike Matheson is on the IR with an upper body injury. So, Sevier has been fine, but if he 
it, it's still a long time out till Zach Aston Reese is back. And your opinion and everybody's opinion could be changed on a lot of these different players. I feel like whenever he's healthy, though, the Penguins organization and the Penguins coaching staff have a lot of faith in Zach Aston Reese. And that's why I think he'll immediately be instilled on that fourth line left wing. And that's fair. And I'm not going to say it's a bad idea. I'm just saying I definitely at least want to see how he plays after coming back. And if it doesn't work, we got to get him out. I just think for now, I look at it as this team's getting better with what we have now. Mm-hmm. It's going to be an experiment to see what he does in his first game or two back. And if we like him, we like him. I'm not t- against Zach Aston Reese. I'm just saying the way I'm looking at it right now is I don't know if he's a fit. Plus, I'm always for, you know, big trades to discuss on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is always fun whenever a trade breaks down, and we'll definitely have to still continue to break down the Kasperi Kapanen trade, the Colton Sevier and Matheson trade. Everything that happened in the offseason is definitely going to have a microscope as far as this podcast is concerned. But I think it's perfect time that we send it over to our interview with Andy Hammond of the Broadway Boys podcast. We broke down the New York Rangers, kind of where they're at right now, as far as contendership for the East Division, as well as a preview of the matchup that is coming down the pike on Friday night at 7 o'clock. But we hope you guys enjoy this interview with Andy Hammond. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have it. This episode of the Tip of the Iceberg is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? I may not be a contractor, but even I know that if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. This is why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 featuring advanced skin-safe technology to keep your soldier polished and cut-free. If you're like me and like to handle this kind of business in the shower, the Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof and features an LED light, so even guys as blind as I am can see what they're doing. If you are listening to me, you are one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and you too can experience it firsthand. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THPN at manscaped.com. Again, that's code THPN for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. We are now being joined by another member of the Hockey Podcast Network. We're joined by Andy Hammond of the Broadway Boys. If you had previously listened to our interview with him, you know this is going to be a very intellectual one, talking about the Broadway Blue Shirts and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Of course, those two teams are going to meet four times in the matter of the next 10 days. So a lot of contact and a lot of games against the New York Rangers coming up. So who better to talk to? Then Mr. Andy Hammond, welcome onto the show. Well, thank you for having me, guys. Uh, you might be giving me a little too much credit with the, the intellectual, <laughs> definitely emotional, but uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here. And, and like you said, a lot of meetings between our uh, two teams coming up this season. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, some days I feel good about having that many games against uh, crosstown rivals and uh, cross area rivals. And then sometimes I'm like, this might 
uh, I don't like how this shapes out, but uh, it'll be interesting no matter what. It definitely feels a little bit more important, or it feels a little more new, mainly because it's so early in the season, it's the first time they've played each other. So we haven't seen a Penguins-Rangers matchup in over a year at least. I think it was back in 2019, the last time these two teams played. So it, it's been a long time. Yeah, I you know, it's especially with with uh, a lot of back-to-backs and having, like, I think there's one point where we're going to play the Devils four times in a row. And, yeah, it's nice to know that, or, or I guess, you know, when you get the the Rangers in their first, in their home opener got the, uh, uh, they got the, the bricks beat off of them, and then they were able to come right back and get some redemption. So in that sense, it's good. But at the same time, it's, uh, it sounds like, you know, and I think because of the Islanders, they almost had the reverse happen to them that it can be kind of like a blessing and a curse. Cause sometimes you have a game, you feel real good about how you play and the, mentally you kind of think you have that next one in the bag and you just come out flat or you underestimate your opponent's ability to push. And then you, yeah, you get lit up. So uh, it's going to be fascinating and it's definitely going to uh, a lot of contempt and bad blood should be flowing for sure. So we brought you on to talk about the New York Rangers, their outlook for this season, how you've, thought about them the first couple of games of this season already but the big question i want to check in on one of the former pittsburgh penguins how tired of jack johnson are you already oh my god um so uh, let me preface it by saying this like i i did at this point i don't i don't hold jack johnson's performance against him i think everyone in their dog knows what maybe except uh, the Rangers coaching staff and, and Jeff Gordon uh, knows what Jack Johnson brings to the table, which unfortunately isn't much. He had, he's had his real bad moments. We've only, we're only three games in uh, last night. He didn't defensively. He didn't look all that bad. Although on that first goal, I thought he was a little soft. You can see he, once he gets spun, he's slow to try to recover. And then he was getting shots on the point, And I think he put like three pucks into the blue seats and the rafters, you know, just literally high and wide over the, you know, and there's no net anymore. So it's just, you know, he's at a driving range, but um, listen, he is what he is. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if Jacques Martin was the one who, who uh, lobbied for it to get him in. I don't, uh, and I, I'm sure you two could tell me if there was a, like a little bit of a love affair there and his usage, but you know, I don't know where Rangers fans are hoping he comes out for Tony D'Angelo the next game, but I don't think it's going to happen. I just think it's one of those things where every team has their just one guy that the coaching staff seems to love inexplicably for no, and it's definitely not for performance. So I don't know what it is or if there's, he's got some dirt on someone, but uh, yeah, I can already see it's going to be a problem. I I mean, uh, he's making me miss Mark Stahl. And I never thought I'd say that. It's been a small sample size, but what have you seen so far from first overall pick? Sorry. First overall pick Alexi Lafreniere. I know it's only been four games and it's hard to judge and I'm sure you're still judging a lot of the players on the team, but what have you seen from Lafreniere so far? So the biggest thing is that he has never once looked out of place. He's always looked like a guy who has been in the league for a while, which is great. Uh, He has, I would say he hasn't had as many of the offensive flair things that I'm used to, or that you would think you'd be seeing, but at the same time, it, it seems to me like he's really, focusing on like looking the part and being a you know sharp on his defensive assignments and supporting the puck so that's great to see because that's something that usually takes you know young players especially if you're 19 years old it's kind of rare to see them not look at a place like that 
you know, I almost think he could look stand to be a little bit more selfish, but I get it. He wants to like be a team guy. And he's had listen, he's had flashes of brilliance here and there, just doing little things. I've seen him trying, you know, every game he gets a little bit more comfortable. I see him trying things that he was used to getting away with. And then he's kind of realizing, oh, I don't have as much time as I thought, uh, or I or if I, I had more time than I thought and I rushed to puck here and I was a little, you know, the pass a little hard, but every now and then you see him little depth touch passes or he can sling a puck tape to tape from across uh, the other side of the zone to find Panarin. Uh, he's currently playing on the right side. You know, they switched him over the right wing to play uh, on the second line with Panarin, but they, they'll crisscross and they'll switch sides a lot. But uh, so I think he's getting used to that too. But, you know, he hasn't looked out of place. Obviously, I think he, like I said, he could be a little bit more selfish maybe, but he's figuring out his limits. And it took Jack Hughes until this season, you know, one full season and Kako for that matter, who now looks uh, much, much better to like look like they can actually be dominant players. So I just think it is. It's hard to come into the National Hockey League and, uh, you know, Austin Matthews is almost like an exception to the rule, you know, even took what uh, Crosby and McDavid three games to get their first point or goal. So yeah, it is what it is. So he doesn't look out of place and that that's good. Uh, good enough for me for right now. Anyway, whenever he does find his place, the fact that him and Artemi Panarin are playing on the same line could turn into something that is, is going to be very fun for, for Rangers fans to watch. That's for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, you could tell, just the you could tell that for nothing else Lafreniere already has insane vision Panarin looks at least even though I don't, I doubt he'll repeat his performance from last year where every team's kind of couldn't really game plan whether it was against the first line or his line with Strom but Panarin looks just as dynamic uh Strom unfortunately does not so I think it's almost hindering that line a little bit but uh yeah, if those two can, if, if Lafreniere can figure out Panarin's tendencies and realize that Panarin can find him almost anywhere and potentially vice versa, yeah, it should be a scary time for teams that have to go up against them. But uh, yeah, I think they're still kind of feeling each other out right now, but that's a good thing. And I, I think uh, I think Lafreniere will get it eventually, especially if he has to realize that maybe instead of trying to change his game so much is that Panarin can find him if he just does what he's used to doing. I think that's the biggest thing for him. So... Again, ignore the stuff behind me. I'm sure we'll figure it out. But um, you mentioned it before with Capo Caco. Uh, what's, you know, is there something wrong with him? What's the deal? I mean, he's a number two overall pick, but I'm also seeing all kinds of negative stuff about him. And in that I saw he was a minus 26 last year. I mean, is there something wrong? Is something that can turn around? And if I'm totally wrong on this, go ahead and yell at me because I'm just trying to figure it all out with him. Yeah, clearly, I think last year, uh, for how much was made of him being NHL ready, he definitely could have used some AHL time. I just think processing the game and that speed and his skating legs weren't what they needed to be. Uh, then, you know, so he has a kind of rough year and he's, you know, he's kind of a more of an offensive minded. Uh, yeah. He's kind of more of an offensive zone possession player. His two way game was clearly really lacking. He just lacked the step and, but you know, he, we have the downtime. He comes to the bubble. He looks like the Rangers' best player, even though they all kind of look disappointing. Uh, and then this season looks even better. But, you know, I think the problem is that – sorry, you guys hear me? <laughs> yeah, now now we can hear you. Jesus Christ, sorry. Yeah, like I said, uh, so my internet, unfortunately, it seems that uh, Optimum is working on it in the area, so it's been real up and in and out. But uh, yeah. yeah, just I'll put it in a nutshell. Kako looks much better this season. Uh, unfortunately, the coaching staff doesn't seem to want to give him ice time. You know, he was one of the worst players in terms of advanced metrics in the league last year, 
And then just in his last two games, his his metrics have been amongst the top of the team in terms of driving offensive scoring chances. And he's just more assertive. He's uh, heavier on the puck. He's quick. He's more decisive. And it's making a world of difference. But yeah, I just think, unfortunately, you know, all the Rangers were bad in game one. So that didn't help. Game two, uh, he was one of the only players or not. Actually, everyone was good. But, you know, that line, him and Heedle have found great chemistry and they were one of the most dominant lines. And again, last night. But for whatever reason, David Quinn, it's still it's not translating. And he, he received some of the lowest ice time on the team. So I think that's going to be his biggest thing is struggling with the fact that if he's not getting premier minutes compared to Lafreniere or that first line is that just keep doing what he's doing. Don't let it dissuade you or get his confidence down. And uh, yeah, I still, I'm not worried about him because I think he looks so much better and he's looking like he can actually, you know, make more passes and not just be more of a one-on-one player. And yeah, he has to hound pucks and sometimes it takes longer. You know, it's not going to, it might not all come together for him this year. Whereas Jack Hughes looks like it took him a year and he wasn't ready. And now he's kind of figured it out. So it might take a little bit longer, but again, he's another guy I'm not worried about. I'm more worried about, the coaching staff putting him in, in positions to get comfortable and succeed. And it, it's a very young team. When you, you talk about Lafreniere and, and you talk about Kako, of course, both of them coming into this league, it is a difficult jump. And right now it seems like they're making that jump, but there's still a couple of things that are holding them back. That is something that as the season goes on, especially in a season like this, you would think that they kind of get a little bit more comfortable and they start to kind of come out of their shells and perform a little bit better. But away from the forward side and more on the the goaltending side, how do you see the Rangers goaltenders? Because last year I said something about, wow, they have Lungfist and Gorgiev. They're so lucky. And you were like, oh, wait, 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 Shesterkin, you don't know him yet, but he's really good. So how do you see this goaltending situation right now? Do you guys have a tandem or is there one guy that's a starter and another a backup? I mean, in a perfect way, I think ideally Shesterkin is your starter and Georgiev is your backup. They're both really, you know, Georgiev is a guy who I you've kind of pegged as he has the potential to be a starter somewhere if he had to, like a la Cam Talbot or hell, even Auntie Ranta, who could eventually take the place of a starter. I think uh, Georgiev's problem is that he's very hot and cold. You know, there's he's either he either looks borderline unbeatable and then there's just games where it's just like he's letting in some pucks he should have had. Shesterkin's a little bit more even keel. Um, he clearly his first game of the season wasn't good by his standards, although the team did nothing in front of him to help him out. But I think that's how it kind of ultimately shakes out that you'll have Shesterkin as your 1A and that he's a little bit more reliable uh, across the board. And then Georgiev, you're going to have maybe a little bit more variance in his performance where there's nights where he looks like the Islanders the other night. You just couldn't, he was confident and you just couldn't figure him out and he's making great saves. And then there's just nights where he's like, I oh, should have had that. And, you know, but that's good. I think you just, especially with the condensed schedule, you're going to need good goaltenders uh, because I think you look at the Islanders and Verlamo has looked so good, but then they had to put in Sorokin for his first NHL game. And he just looked you know, out of place and bad. I don't think the Rangers will have to worry about that as much as some other teams that have a really good starter and maybe their backup isn't. Uh, yeah, because you're going to at a certain point with the with the how compact the schedule is, you're going to have to give your main guy some rest and you can't, you know, I don't think it's realistic to be able to ride uh, your number one all season, you know, especially because you don't have the same rest days to to sit him or get him, you know, have it, let him uh, recoup. So I'm confident going forward. We'll see. Shesterkin has only played one game so far. And obviously, although he came in relief last night and he looked pretty good um, of Georgiev. So, and yeah, they almost won that game. And yeah, so I, I, I'm not worried about it. I'm actually, I think the Rangers in the, this Eastern division have one of the stronger tandems, 
But yeah, well, what remains to be seen. I don't know. Can Shesterkin repeat what he did last season? Uh, I hope so. But again, I um, listen, the, uh, goaltending is like voodoo. Some years guys are good and some years they just inexplicably are not good. So and I think the great ones I'm used to Lundqvist even in his twilight years is that he was pretty consistent. Like he might maybe wasn't as good as he once was, but he was as good as he ever once was. I don't I don't know how that <laughs> phrase goes. You You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, we know what you mean. It's goaltending's weird, and we, it's hard to predict. It's hard to really even talk about, but you gotta do what you gotta do. And I mean, going forward, I think all three of us, at least, we're confident this that this can be a good Rangers team again. Um, quite simply, I mean, when will the Rangers be a real deal playoff team again? Um, so I think the problem with this New York Rangers team, or not, I don't want to say problem because I think it's 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 still coming along. I think what the disconnect for a lot of fans is and i think for where where the field's at is that they're offensively already such a talented team they can score i think last year they were seventh in in goals in the league they had they were number one in scoring from the back end they can clearly put the puck in the net so it almost feels like okay they're a supreme scoring team they should be able to but you can see obviously team defense and when you have that many young players it's just yeah they make a lot of mistakes they're inconsistent they're games where they just they aren't dialed in or they don't show up until a little bit after the, you know, 15 minutes into the first, they give up a lot of early goals. They give up goals at the end of periods. And I think that's the biggest thing. You, you see the disconnect between they're clearly ready maybe to go up, go, you know, they can run and gun with some of the bigger, the higher powered offensive teams, but they don't have the, uh, they don't have the experience in the league to lock things down as much. And their team defense overall is, is not where it wants to be, but, you know, just having a guy like Ke'Andre Miller make this team and already look like one of their best defenders is absolutely huge. And you just see the potential, especially because considering they still have more talented defensemen in their pipeline that haven't even made the Rangers yet between Nils Lundqvist, uh, Zach Jones, you know, uh, Tarmo Reunanen, who's on the taxi squad right now. Uh, yeah, it's definitely their, I think their defense needs to shore up first, but they're close. It's just, I don't know if it's going to be this year, unfortunately. I think with you they're still a team where they are too inconsistent and um you know i i had them getting in our predictions i had them getting in the fourth slot and i think that's definitely doable for them especially if it's you know they kind of finally figure it out i was hoping Jacques martin uh might influence that a bit you guys can tell me whether i'm i'm out of my mind but um but yeah i think still as long as they're in you know their youth and inconsistency especially if they're not going to be relied on to put their young players give them the ice time they need to kind of make their mistakes and be like oh okay like i can't do this i have to be doing this i have to be aware of this yeah until that happens there i don't know if they're going to be ready but they can put the puck in the net and they can you know but you can't always outscore your problems i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah with everything and you mentioned martin i mean he had a pretty good track record last year with a young defenseman with little to no experience in john marino so the fact is he has done it before, but we'll see if he can repeat that with a little bit more of a quantity in New York. There's a little bit more to work with. So we'll see if, if that helps with it. And to kind of continue to tie the Penguins and the Rangers together, let's get into that matchup a little bit. How do you see the Rangers matching up with the Pens here in the early going in these first four matchups? Is it good for New York, or do you think it's going to be a rough matchup for them? Well, I think... I, I don't really know, to be honest. They've faced two teams back-to-back that are very – that like to clog the neutral zone and clog their own crease in the Islanders and the Devils. Uh, you know, they put 50 shots up on the Devils last night, 
and then they pretty much dominated the Islanders in their bounce back game. But that's because I think the Islanders took them lightly and just weren't didn't have their skating legs for whatever reason or were overconfident. But so I, th- you know, I think uh, from what little I've seen of the Penguins this year, it looks like uh, they can definitely score. So I think the Rangers have to be wary of that. I think it's one of those things that if they I think it's going to be one of those things that whoever makes the first mistake is going to, you know, and for, or makes more mistakes is going to end up paying for it. I think it looks like both these teams maybe play a little bit more open and a little bit more of a skill game than the Rangers were seeing from either the Devils or the uh, the Islanders, you know, because like I said, even you can be as uh, your def- team defense can be as good as you want. But if, if Malkin has the puck or if Crosby has the puck, you need to be aware at all times because they can burn you. And I, I don't think they really had that so much against the Islanders and the Devils who are just didn't make mistakes. And then when they had a chance on a counterattack, you know, could either bury one or two. Uh, so yeah, I think it's kind of going to be a little bit more open. It's going to be a little bit more run and gun. I'm sure both, uh, you know, old friends, uh, uh, Sullivan and Quinn will be pulling their hair out if they watch their teams try to, you know, tit for tat each other like that, but it's probably going to be what it's going to be. And yeah, I think it'll come down to, like I said, who makes the, the, who makes, uh, well, not that this is not every team game, but who makes the least amount of mistakes in their own zone and which goaltender is up to the, the task. So, uh, Although you guys can tell me, I saw that uh, is now, do you know who's uh, slated to start for the Penguins? Is it going to be Jerry or is it going to be, uh, yeah, who's who's in net for Friday? I would guess it's going to be Jari or, yeah, I would guess it's going to be Jari just so we can get his legs back under him a little bit. And because, I mean, yeah, DeSmith has been winning, but Mike Sullivan likes to ride a hot hand. We'll just, it'll just depend on that. But I mean, even beyond the Penguins, um, you already kind of touched on the Devils and Islanders. How do you think the Rangers stack up against the rest of this you know, this monster of an East Division? Uh, like I said, offensively, they can probably won't be one of the more you know uh, dominant offensive teams. It's just uh, it's they're going to be their defense. Like I, they clearly there are nights when things are clicking for them. Like they can create from their back end. They have good. They have two supremely talented offensive defensemen in. Uh, uh, Fox and D'Angelo, Ke'Andre Miller has looked great. And like I said, uh, the younger guys on their third line have looked even more uh, confident. It's a matter of them getting the ice time, but at the same time, and you know, you can look at it that really outside of Buchnevich, their, their uh, main horses, namely, you know, Panarin had a great game against the Islanders in game two, but yeah, Strom, uh, Zabanajad, Kreider, these are guys that really haven't gotten going yet. So if they can, I think they can stack up pretty well against almost any team it's just they're you know they're lucky enough that they're like i said offensively talented enough to be in any game i don't think they'll but at the same time it's like they are a team that they can really make more mistakes than maybe some of these other teams they'll probably have way less structure so they're definitely susceptible at all times to all teams you know whereas there's i think there's some teams in this division where the bruins i don't think will ever be a team that is uh yeah, they'll probably they're you know they might allow two goals against, but probably not much more than that. And I think the Rangers are gonna there probably be a lot of nights where the Rangers unfortunately give up three to four goals. So that's gonna yeah, I think they can stack up with anyone, but it's just the problem is the variance is too much. And this is you know with this compact schedule, you need to limit this. You need to find a groove. And honestly, I think this is the perfect year for a team like the Islanders or if the Devils want to play this style which I wouldn't recommend giving up 50 shots, even if they're from, you know, the outside a lot, but you can't, I would say you normally can't do that every night, but in a shortened schedule, maybe you can, maybe it's like the Islanders 
just playing patient hockey is going to work for them. You know what I mean? Uh, but who I, it's kind of hard to say, this is the most competitive division since they've redrawn, uh, during the pandemic, you know, and honestly, it's like any of these teams, like good teams are not going to make the the playoffs in, in this Eastern division. You know what I mean? You, cause you could even argue that on paper, the devils were the weakest of the teams and they've looked like Blackwood's a, could win the Vesna. He looks like a world beater right now. And sometimes that's all you need, especially if you're only playing 56 games. So uh, I don't know. I could, the Rangers I could see in, but I could also see them finishing last just because they were always inconsistent and they have too many Jekyll and Hyde performances. Yeah. And beyond that, I mean, even is this new format going to show to be beneficial for the Rangers because you're not playing against these teams or is it going to be beneficial or hurt them because you're not playing against the bad teams of the central of the west like all three california teams florida if you will and uh chicago come to mind like these aren't that great of teams that are probably some easy wins i mean granted the penguins lost to all three of the california teams last year but for the most part they should be easy wins and does that help or like does that take away from possible chances of getting in for you guys you know i think it it hurts them in the short term but I think it benefits them in the long term because iron sharpens iron. And if you have to be that dialed in every night or else you get spanked, like it's, uh, it's, you know, it's good for development, maybe not so good for their chances. They'll probably learn a lot of lessons and then have a lot of time to learn from them and, and turn around and try to apply them. So it, I think it, it hurts their chances maybe of getting into the playoffs this year. But at the same time, I think it's maybe it might be the best thing for them because you don't have to like get your, you know, let's say you get uh, upset by a powerhouse team. Let's say the Bruins just absolutely wipe the floor with you. And then the next game you're facing the Red Wings or, uh, or yeah, or rebuilding San Jose Sharks who look absolutely abysmal right now. You know what I mean? And it's like not the same thing as saying, all right, well, the next night we're either playing the Bruins again in a back-to-back or we're playing the Islanders who, who maybe don't have the offensive flair but are even more structured. And it's good in that sense. You know what I mean? It may be not so much for getting the win, but at least being able to make mistakes, being coachable, learn from them and then apply them and figure out, okay, if we want to be consistently consistent and competitive, this is what we have to do and how we have to apply it. So yeah. Uh, TLDR, uh, maybe bad short-term, but good long-term. And I feel like that's going to be the same thing for everybody, especially as you both mentioned in this division, which, you know, Boston is, is going to be a powerhouse. Washington, we just witnessed firsthand how difficult those games are going to get. Philadelphia, we, we saw that as well. We, we own pace of play against Philadelphia, yet still got killed on the scoreboard. So it's going to be a very fun season for everybody in the East Division, but it's also going to give everybody a little bit of anxiety and some heart conditions. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, listen, even I don't care how good of a team you are, that even philly got waxed by buffalo the other night you're just gonna when you're playing this many game in this short succession you're just not you're gonna be a lot of nights where you're not as prepared and you just don't have it you're playing a lot of games and just mentally maybe you're not in it and then you get bad bounces and it's over and philly is a better team than buffalo we can all i think we can all say that uh pretty comfortably but at the same time yeah they they got waxed by the other night because they came out of the gate really hot and looked like they picked up where they left off and then they got to buffalo and maybe they underestimated them a bit and just didn't have their skating legs and yeah and buffalo put up uh, what four or five goals on them so it's just kind of that's hockey that's kind of how it is and i think you're gonna see a lot more variance i think so that hence why teams really need to focus on their structure and whoever can yeah, remain, limit their mistakes and remain the most structured the season wins. I think you, every year you have a lot of teams that 
uh, they can outscore their problems or even out maybe their goaltender can bail them out and then they kind of get exposed in the postseason. And I think even more, there's even more chance of that happening because the schedule is shorter and you don't have as much time to be, yeah, to be make those mistakes. So, and it's early. Listen, like these guys haven't played hockey in how long? So I think teams are going to tighten up as time goes on. It's just right now it's a little bit helter skelter, but uh, yeah, it's uh, this division is definitely the most uh, competitive. And yeah, I just, I, like I said, wouldn't surprise me to see the scoreboard shake out. I don't think there'd be any big upsets because honestly out, maybe outside of the devils who people had on paper, like no one really pegged anyone to be, if you go, if you did a segment of everyone, everyone has different ideas about who's in and who's out. So. Yeah. Especially in the East division, as we've all mentioned there and expectations for everybody are are some a little high and some a little low, but we already heard your expectations. You have the New York Rangers in an official prediction at four. And you've also realistically said, you know, you could see them in or out based on how strong the division is. What is the expectations around the fan base in New York? Do they expect this team to contend for a playoff spot this year? I think they do. And I, I would hope I would preface it in saying that there's, you know, I think everyone looks at development of teams and trajectories should be linear. I think they overachieved a little bit last year, which I think some people don't want to admit, but listen, uh, if you look at Mika's advantage at shooting percentage and the season Artemi Panarin had, that's not going to happen again. Like Ryan Strom is already not looking as uh, dialed in and, and having the synergy with Panarin he had last year. And a lot of things went right for them. You know, I, I think getting Shesterkin in at the right time really helped them, uh, even though, and at times he, yeah, he was good and he kind of helped, uh, he helped maybe hide some warts down the stretch, but there's yeah there's plenty to build on but you have to th- understand it's like they there's now they bring in two more 19 they're the i think they're the youngest team in the national hockey league now you bring in you lose mark Stahl, you lose henrik lundquist you bring in uh keandre miller who's 20 and alexi lafreniere who just turned 19 uh yeah and you know P- philip heedle's been in the league for a few years but he's still not I, I don't think he's 21 yet or he just turned 21 so and kako yeah same with kako like these are half of this ro- and yeah half of this roster are sub 22 23 year old players and i think it takes a lot of time for people to understand that like even though it's like another year these guys aren't going to all take you know these astronomical jumps forward uh there's still going to be time to figure out lafreniere wasn't going to come in and from day 1 be a world beater you know he's going to have to figure things out like everyone else does and uh yeah i think people fans want it just thought saw all these things on paper and said oh well we're clearly going to be better because we have you know guys with way more potential yeah but you know potential is is an end goal thing and yeah maybe just where they're at yet in terms of controlling pace of play is not there yet so i don't know but at the same time it's like all it takes is just having a, a light bulb go off for one of these kids and all of a sudden that's just another dangerous element like if keandre miller who was bad the first game in tentative because in his first NHL game was looked pretty solid and impressive his second game and then looked pretty dominant his third game you know, if he keeps progressing and getting his legs under him and you can now play him on your second pairing and give him you know heavy minutes to take some of that uh load off of Fox and whoever his partner is that's huge you know so it's just kind of hard to tell there's too much variance which is why I was only really comfortable having him that four spot I didn't want to seem like a downer part of me even thought about having them just missing it because I think they they're not gonna they're not finishing first I'll tell you that I think they're either just make it or they probably just kind of finish right outside of that spot all right and I was gonna let you go but I did remember one thing is Mika Zibanejad gonna be good to go on Friday we're finding out right now they're supposed to be practicing at noon uh so and that's obviously 
you know, he looked pretty shaken up after he went to the bench. He slid and what's, you know, it was one of those things where he disappeared because it was in the corner closest to uh, the camera. So you see him lose an edge and slide. So you didn't know what the point of contact was. Mm-hmm. Did he hit his head? He has a concussion, which he's had some issues with in the past. Uh, I actually, oh, I actually think I can tell you right now. Let's see. Did you do uh, no meek in practice? I just think we don't know, but that's not, that's not a good thing. Yeah. Maybe it could be. I think the Rangers said it's a maintenance day for him, but yeah, well, who knows? It can be precautionary or at the same time, he could be dealing with some stuff. And yeah, I don't know. I, uh, Mika, unfortunately, has had some weird freak injuries in the past. So, you know, I think you have to be careful with him. So there's a chance he might not be ready for Friday night. So you might see, I can't believe I'm saying this, you might see like a Brett Howden uh, on the first line between Kreider and Buchnevich, or maybe they move a Philip Heedle up who's looked pretty good. But uh, yeah, I'm not really quite sure. So well, uh, that remains to be seen. I'm sure we'll find out some point today after practice when they're done. I'm sure hopefully the beat writers ask. But yeah, uh, not good. Not good for sure for this Rangers team who definitely is going to need all the help they uh, can get down the middle of the ice, especially if you're trying to stack up against a one-two punch of Crosby and Malkin. Well, Andy, thank you so much for joining the show. We'll give you here a couple seconds to to let us know where everybody can find you and what's coming up for you on the Broadway Boys podcast. But just one more time, thank you again for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me, guys. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Broadway Boys Pod. Uh, coming up, yeah, uh, we have an episode dropping like everyone else here on the Hockey Podcast Network. It comes out if you're listening this Thursday morning. Thank you so much. Episodes every Monday and Thursday. Uh, excited about our new partnership with DraftKings, as we all are. Uh, and yeah, we have some good stuff. James and I have some good guests coming up. Uh, we're going to sit on it for now, but if you pay attention to our Twitter page, uh, you'll be excited to see who we have coming out. And yeah, just th- thank you guys for having me on. It's always fun to talk hockey with you. And you know, I'm, I'm obviously hoping our, our the boys in blue get the, the win on Friday, but at the same time, I'm very supremely nervous. Uh, and it should definitely, I think if anything else, it'll be a fun game with two teams that can put the puck in the back of the net. And we'll get to see a lot of it because they're going to play like we started the show out saying four times in a matter of 10 days. But once again, thank you, Andy. What is up, everybody? Mikey CLT here from Bar Down Breakdown, letting you know that our 100th episode is going to be dropping exclusively on the Hockey Podcast Network on January 27th. We will be joined by special guest Derek from the amazing pop punk band State Champs. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on all our socials so you do not miss any of our amazing episodes we are so pumped that we have made it to episode 100 and to thank you we are running an instagram contest where one lucky winner can win a steez brand snapback hat so head over to our instagram and enter our contest also if you are just hearing about bar down breakdown make sure you go and check out our 99 other episodes where we have had artists who have been nominated for grammys all the way down to artists who are unsigned, where we dive into the crossover between alternative music and hockey. So make sure you go and check out Bar Down Breakdown wherever you listen to podcasts, brought to you exclusively by the Hockey Podcast Network. This is the Tip of the Icebergs Minor League Minute. The Pittsburgh Penguins affiliate in the AHL Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins are set to start their season on February 5th. 
With the season only a couple of weeks away, goaltender Emil Larmy has returned to the United States and will probably be looking at the starting role this season for the Baby Penguins. Keep an eye on the taxi squad for the Pittsburgh Penguins to see if they send down any of their better prospects like P.O. Joseph or Drew O'Connor. They already sent down Anthony Angelo earlier this week. Moving down to the ECHL and the Wheeling Nailers, they are currently 2-5-3 on the season, which is last in the reconfigured Eastern Division of the ECHL. They will host the South Carolina Stingrays this weekend on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in three straight games. The Stingrays are currently in second place in the Eastern Division. This has been your Minor League Minute. Now back to the show. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. And we're also brought to you, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, and as Andy mentioned it during our interview, we're brought to you by DraftKings, which is the best online sportsbook that you could use. Unfortunately, right now, I live in Virginia, which is working on getting sports betting legal. But for all of our listeners up in Pennsylvania, it is legal. So go to DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the code THPN for a great opportunity this weekend on the Conor McGregor fight. Ooh. I did look it up, and DraftKings is due to be legalized in Virginia in January at some point. So I'm hoping that it comes down the pike sooner rather than later so I can get back into it. Where is that called? Oh, there it is. McGregor is currently a minus 305. I don't know what any of this means. I'm just going to read it and have you... Means he is the favorite. He ah. is a very heavy favorite heading into that fight. Yeah, to a Dustin Poirier plus 250. Yeah, so a decent payout if you, if you take Poirier, but the current deal we have going on is if you are a new member at DraftKings and you use code THPN at sign up, a $1 bet will give you an opportunity for a $257 payout Ooh. if Conor McGregor can knock out Dustin Poirier in the first round. And McGregor is known to be able to knock people out in the first round. So I, that's pretty decent odds. So go ahead and check that out at DraftKings Sportsbook. But let's finish off this episode with our shout-outs and call-outs segment. Horwat, it's going to be an interesting shout-outs and call-outs segment. Let's start off with call-outs. I'll let you lead the way. Yeah, yeah I discussed him a little bit before. I'm calling out TJ Yoshi for just having a punchable face. <laughs> um, just, oh my God. just a very punchable face. I've never liked the guy. Even back in his St. Louis days, shout-out to you, Tom Franklin. I didn't like him then. I didn't really know who he was too much, but I just didn't like him then. Um, I just have a list of athletes of just people I just don't like. I don't need to have a reason. It's sports. We don't like the people we don't like. Uh, we don't like our rivals. Now he's a rival. Now I really don't like him. Um, and this isn't even touching on his whole uh, just being scum of the earth type play. And, you know, it's definitely not an underrated dirtbag player anymore. I think he's really gotten the Tom Wilson juices rubbed off on him and it's very not fun watching him play and it sucks because I'll say yes he's a great player he's not as great as he used to be but um, it's just brutal watching him go after guys and really <laughs> I think he enjoys hurting people I don't know I mean I think him and Tom Wilson both like fuck they them might both just enjoy contact yeah that's fair but fuck them both they both have punchable faces and I Jesus. hate when uh we play them just because I don't like them. That's my. I did send. Sorry, go ahead. This is just my my call out. Just simply a guy for having a punchable face and for me not liking him. It's a little Fair lazy, enough. but hey. I did send you the video that his face is all over giant superstores down here, right? Oh no! Oh. Oh yeah, he he's on. 
basically if you go down the the refrigerator aisle he's on basically all of the columns there just holding i think like a thing of mixed berries or something <laughs> but I, i've tried to avoid that i started going to aldi instead Ooh. my call out my call out for this week goes to wonder woman 1984 horwat have you seen it or have you had any interest in seeing it no i haven't had any interest in seeing it <laughs> That's perfectly fine because this is an official spoiler alert for all of our listeners. If you want to tune back in in about five minutes or fast forward through these five minutes, because I am going to spoil a little bit about Wonder Woman 1984. It was actually a really bad movie, which is unfortunate because the first Wonder Woman was a very good movie and I enjoyed it. I, I lean towards Marvel when I talk about superhero movies, but DC, I thought one of the things that they've done well is Wonder Woman. But this one, not good. The action scenes were very strange. The movements were definitely not realistic. And I get it's a superhero movie and some of the things they're doing is not realistic, but the movements could look a little bit more realistic, like running. I'm sure you could make that look a little bit more realistic than her basically ice skating across cement concrete. And the premise and plot was fairly questionable to me. To be honest, it, it was a full letdown because of how good the first one was. The only good part to me was the fact that the mall they used in the opening scene is three minutes down the road from me. I drive past it every day. It is abandoned now. It is used as an Amazon support center. But for that movie, it was kind of cool to see that, and it looked familiar. And, you know, that was the only good part to me. It, it was very strange. A and, yes, spoiler alert again really quickly. The fact that they brought back her significant other who was played by Chris Pine, who was very old now, which I was not expecting. They brought him back, but for some reason, he had to take over somebody else's body, and it was not really explained why that had to happen. I don't know. Like I said, the plot was very questionable. It was confusing. It just overall was not a good movie. I was quite disappointed. I've seen a lot of good mo or bad movies lately. Yeah, you and have. And it's kind of disappointing, but hopefully I'll see a, see a good one. If you have any suggestions... You know, tweet at me, at Nick underscore Berlansky. But let's get into shout-outs. Finish off this week on a good note. Horwat, what is your shout-out? <laughs> uh, I'm shouting out Jack Johnson. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Why? Man, he got, <laughs> why? He, he got trending on Twitter, and Penguins oh. fans can just sit back and enjoy the view for a little while. Just, It's great fun. I mean, we talked a little bit to Andy about um, Jack Johnson and his play and just how <laughs> aggravating it's going to be. And we got, we're getting to see it from the outside looking in. I think we saw it before. We didn't really know the pain. Then we learned the pain, and now we've, now we know the pain, and we can just look at it, and we can just sit back with some drinks and enjoy the, enjoy the show. Nice and refreshing just to watch Jack Johnson just bumble kick the puck around his own zone, turn the puck over, trend on Twitter for being so bad at the sport of hockey. Great guy. Oh, but amazing I'm definitely guy. happy that we are now paying him to not play for us. <laughs> yeah, I keep forgetting that we're still paying him, but hey, so be it. It's just funny. If he stays in the the roster and the lineup, we'll see him four times out of the next ten games. So that's a pretty good indication there as well. My shout-out to finish off the show goes to, and I was supposed to do this last week, but I, I lost it in all my notes. My shout-out goes to Sidney Crosby's jockstrap. It is entering its 16th NHL season. He also wore it during his two years in Ramouski, and Lord knows how much longer before that. I guess kind of a subsequent, or maybe the main shout-out, should go to Penguins equipment manager Dana Heinze. Johnstown bred 
Dana Heinze for keeping it all together this whole time and to honestly basically have his life's work be another man's jock. So good on Dana Heinze for keeping it together. I guess good on Sidney Crosby for sticking to his weird superstition. But hey, who am I to judge Sidney Crosby and his superstitions whenever he is the player he is? He's one of the best of all time. He is definitely one of the top of this generation at the very least. And his jock is definitely something that should be hanging in Toronto in the Hockey Hall of Fame whenever he retires. And that is something that should be a fixture in that museum, which I still have yet to go to, but I'm very excited for. But that is going to be it for this week's episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, season two, episode 15. A thank you again to Wesley for sending in the questions that he had. A thank you to Andy Hammond from the Broadway Boys podcast for joining us to talk about the upcoming Penguins versus Rangers series. We'll have a really good weekend, hopefully, and the Penguins will hopefully finally get a regulation victory. But again, that is it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Have a good weekend, Pens fans. We'll see you next week. You can follow us on Twitter at NickHorwat41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the Hockey Podcast Network. Dot com. Every team, everywhere.